All right, fantastic. We're rolling. Let's get some. Make sure these uh, waveforms are showing up. Some waveforms. Waveforms. Wave. 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 Okay. Whoa, 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 Am I whoa, too low? Whoa, whoa. Yeah, I'm a little too low. This is the worst DJ set I've ever heard. One, two. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Sean Hildner. We're continuing our Rework Book Club this week with a look at the essay entitled Ignore the Real World. This one goes into that common trope that new ideas are bound to fail or that these things may work for a company like Basecamp, but would never work for company X. And as always, I'm joined by Basecamp co-founders and the authors of Rework, David Heinemeyer Hansen. Welcome. Thank you. And Jason Freed. Welcome. Hey, Sean. You know, I've noticed in a lot of these essays start with something along the lines of, You always hear someone has said X, Y, Z. And in this case, the quote you use is that idea would never work in the real world. Is this still something that that you you find pretty prevalent? Yeah, that's the that's the standard rebuttal. Uh, It still is. Or, or, Or there's a variation of it, which is like, well, that would never work for us or that would never work at our company. And so that would never work in the real world is kind of a. Uh, catch-all for all those variations on that rebuttal. But yeah, we still hear that. Uh, I think what's interesting is that um, one of the things we heard up until, you know, a year-ish ago is that remote work would never work here or there or everywhere. I feel like a Dr. Seuss kind of (laughs) thing there. But um, what's nice is that that myth was busted, obviously, you know, in during difficult circumstances, but everyone had, it was forced to basically work remotely and it, it it works now it's hard in some ways and some people didn't do it quite right and there's all their challenges that come up and there's isolations all that stuff but at least like the real world in that case was forced to, to reckon with a situation that what where the real world had to had to give for a second and people had to try something new and it worked so i think anytime you can bust a myth or f- sort of force someone to try something and they they believe is impossible uh is it, a good is a good time is a good moment and uh, that's what we just had happen over the past year or so I think the other thing with the real world is that it's such a catch-all for unquestioned assumptions. Like, What is it about the real world that wouldn't work, right? Sometimes people even have a hard time articulating what it is specifically about their company or how they perceive the world that they think is incompatible with this idea. So if you take the catch-all away and force someone to actually articulate why it is that something wouldn't work, why it is that they are so different from someone else, why it is that our example should be dismissed. Because one of the things about these books, uh, and Rework in particular, is it's describing what we've actually done. Mm -hmm. It's not a bunch of theory of what could perhaps possibly work in some foreign galaxy somewhere, right? No, Rework in particular is summarizing the first, what's that going to be, 12 years of the company and the things we actually did and how they worked. So that's kind of the postulate that we put out, that these were things that were tried in a real company that makes real money, that has real employees and real customers. Like The fundamentals aren't that different. We are just like everyone else in the core setup of a business. So given the fact that we've proven to have leave has tried some of these things and they've worked to various levels of success like that's where this real world comes from it's a defensive posture 
it's a way of saying, oh, that sounds difficult without actually having to risk anything, right? Because if you say, that sounds difficult, I'm not going to try, that's probably too hard, you end up sounding like, I don't know, a coward, (laughs) unambitious. It's much easier to say, oh no, that wouldn't work in the real world. You're actually the one who's delusional. And that's why it's such an important point to take down. Because literally every essay that comes after that could have that rebuttal. Sure. Sure. What is it about new ideas that I guess they're expected to fail? Is this like a risk avoidance thing? Is it there's, I don't know, too much money behind the current status quo? Change is hard. And what we propose is not subtle change. There's a lot of changes in rework that are very dramatic for how most people run their business. So to even contemplate a handful of these ideas is really daunting. And it's much easier to simply rationalize the things you're already doing that wouldn't require you to change anything and say these people are just nuts. That's why they're talking about this. It's not because it's something that's relevant to me. Because if you allow that these ideas might be relevant to you, you'd have to think about like, why aren't we doing these things? If meetings truly are toxic, why do we have so many of them? Those are kind of hard questions, particularly inside organizations where change isn't just about changing your mind. That's the other big thing of rework and why rework is difficult and perhaps in some ways why rework appeals particularly to people starting out because they don't have to convince another 50 people that this is a better idea. It's interesting to think about the pandemic forcing something like this new idea of remote work onto more traditional organizations. And it sucks that it took something like that. Do you think an organization like Basecamp was better off from already adopting things like remote work? Were we better off when everyone had to go home anyway? Well, I I think it was easier for us to adapt. Uh, It wasn't, I guess it wasn't much of an adaptation that we were used to it. Um, However, it, it was harder because I think I mentioned, maybe mentioned this in the last podcast, that this this last year was more like pandemic work rather than remote work. Mm. It, it wasn't remote work in the traditional sense where you can literally like, a lot of people go to a coffee shop and work. Like you couldn't do that or go to a co-working space. You couldn't do that. Or a library, you couldn't do that because public spaces were, were closed. So people were forced to work at home and they may not have had the space. And maybe if they had kids, their kids were also home when normally they might be at school Maybe both parents had to be home. It was just the, the whole thing was tricky, really tricky. And so I think that put some pressure. And of course, people were then also locked down. Like not only could they, they had to work from home. In some cases, you couldn't even leave the house. You know, we have people working for us from all over the world and there's different rules in different countries and different lockdown situations. So all that was really tricky too. I, I think that what made it easier for us was simply that we were resilient in, in this way, and we knew how to work remotely. All of our tooling, Basecamp, is built for work, remote work. Basecamp, the product itself, which is what we run our whole business on. So we're already used to that. Compared to, you know, if you're an organization that was f- fundamentally focused on on meetings and in-person conversations, then have then being thrown into, first of all, searching for a software tool that worked. Um, a lot of people pick something that doesn't work, and they have to look for something else again. Um, it's a pretty hectic, it's pretty hectic for a lot of companies. We had, we got to sidestep that, but we also still had our own challenges and difficulties. And the fact that we didn't get to see each other at all was hard as it was for everybody. So we had a head start, but it still wasn't easy. 
I think in some ways, actually, the fact that we already had the mechanics down. How do you work together? How do we make decisions? How, how do we do all of that? That was the easy part. And in some ways, I think perhaps we were caught at times a little off guard that like, that wasn't the end of it. There's so much more than just figuring out, oh, which software should we use? How should we use it? How can we work together productively? How can we do that huge transition from um, synchronous to asynchronous work? That's one of the key stumbling blocks for a lot of organizations trying to go to remote work. We had all that figured out. But then all of these social issues of simply being cooped up for so long that the new situations with kids at home, you, you think like, hey, we should be able to just run as fast as we were. We were already set up for work. Lots of people were already working from home. We shouldn't skip a beat. And I think we weathered that pretty good in the beginning of the pandemic, where we immediately went out and said, like, do you know what? We can't have the expectations that we had previously. We're going to push out. We pushed out a major product launch. We were supposed to launch Hay in, I think, April. And we said, you know what? No, let's wait. And then at some point, we kind of fell into a rhythm that we thought was good enough, and then we pushed forward. And I think figuring out exactly where that point was and where it was for different people was also a complication. Like We all use the same tools. We all engage with the work in a similar way, but from very different circumstances. Someone who was in pandemic lockdown as a single person had a very different experience of that than being in lockdown with the whole family. So I think that was um, extra challenging in part because we had all the other stuff figured out. Yeah, it was more unexpected. Yes, yes. I mean, if, if, if you have to do the big shift, right? Like you were used to, as Jason said, meeting in person, like you know the entire world is changing. Yeah. Right? We show up to work in Basecamp and the entire world didn't change. <laughs> we're still doing the same things. Um, so some of these trickier aspects of it, particularly socially or isolation-wise, I think perhaps were a little more under the radar for us than they would be for other people who expected that everything was going to change and that was more on the, um, on the guard for it. But I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, clearly we shouldn't complain about our readiness I mean, if in some ways it felt like we had prepared for 20 years for this moment, um, not just in terms of being remote within the U.S., but being remote uh, around the world and having people live uh, a sort of different lives and being impacted by the lockdowns in different ways. Like it wasn't a monocultural experience, which I think gave some resilience. Hey, when things were quite bad in the U.S., perhaps they weren't as bad in Denmark. And then when they got a little worse in, in Europe, they perhaps weren't as bad in the U.S. and so on and so forth. I think there's a real resilience to just that diverse setup. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to get back to this idea that um, entrenched organizations may find new ideas are bound to fail. And it reminds me of sort of what we see in Hollywood right now, where every single movie is an, it's an adaptation of some previous work. It's a sequel. It's Disney is literally making The Lion King again, you know, three times or whatever. And I think that comes from, and please tell me if I'm barking up the wrong tree here. I think that comes from, it's too expensive to make a movie. The studios invest too much money and it's too risky to try something new. Does this idea, this entrenched idea that new ideas are destined to fail in business, is that related to the idea that to be a successful business, you need a ton of money and investors now have too much invested and won't take the risks on new ideas? 
this is this is not new. Uh, obviously, people being afraid to try new things and for businesses to take risks. And you know, I, I think the way we've always tried to think about it is that we're comfortable taking a risk, but not putting ourselves at risk, which are two different ways to look at it. And a studio, you know, in your case, you know, with your point, like I don't, they may decide, well, I'm just making up numbers here, but we can make a remake for 25 million or a hundred million, I don't know, whatever, that's like pretty much going to work. We know this is going to work. It's worked before versus, you know, we could take a risk on a brand new idea for twice as much and it's five times as much risk. Like why do that right now? Especially in a moment of, uh, of change, like, you know, you know, streaming and, and theaters being closed. Now they're reopening. Like there's a whole bunch of uncertainty. So why not just go back to the hits? Go back to what you know is going to work and, and and eliminate. There's already so much risk in the system right now. Right. So much risk in the system. Why add more to it? So I think risk is, is something that you think about systematically. It's not only your stuff. So for for example, this is a little bit of an aside, but people like ask me like, do you do any angel investing and all this stuff? And I go, not, not really, because like all, I have a huge amount of risk already in my own business. Like I've, I've put some money into some companies that are run by friends more as like a support thing, but I, I'm not an investor. I don't go out and do that. There's enough risk. I've got a lot of risk. My entire financial everything is wrapped up in one company. That's a lot of risk. And so, you know, if you're a studio, you think about what's the, what's the risk that you have that's internal, what's the external risk, what's the societal risk, what's, what's uh, you know, the market risk, all that stuff. And, and that's why, you know, it's, you just, most places, people, companies, whatever, tend to just run for comfort and familiarity. And I understand that. Like that's, that's a natural, natural thing. But, and by the way, like, yes, like some risky original ideas are the ones that hit and change the world and everything, but most of them simply don't. Mm -hmm. Most of them like are extremely risky for a reason and they don't work. And so you run into a few of those in a row and you become more and more risk averse. Um, I think maybe the studios are running into that right now. I think it's also just that all humans are risk averse as a default. And they have to be forced into risk by circumstances. And right now, if you essentially have, let's say, the movie distribution system pretty locked down, that there's a handful of very large companies who are the only ones who essentially have access to this, they don't need risk. This is the fundamental logic of monopoly power. This is what we've been fighting against on something like email. Gmail locked down email long ago in their mind, right? We don't need any risk. Gmail essentially hasn't changed for at least 10 years. Why? Because once you have this dominant position, risk only has downsides, right? Gmail might change something. And, and what are you going to do? They already have 2 billion users. The best you can do is essentially make sure no one leaves, sort of, right? Like there's not a, it's not a lot of green fields left to conquer. All they have left really is to lose. Yeah. So you need situations where there are newcomers. They're going to look at it and say, like, do you know what? I need to take the risk. If I just do what Gmail does, there's no way I'm ever going to beat Gmail. That's exactly how we looked at, hey, in fact, a driving directive in the design process was we have to be weird. We have to be different. If we're just making the same thing that's already out there, we're going to get squashed. Like, why yeah, would what's anyone? The point? Right. What's the point? Like both sort of, I think, artistically, what's the point <laughs> sure. of, uh, of the remake, which I think is also something you touch on with, with all these movies or, yeah. or people excited about making the whatever 40th Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. mm, perhaps not in the same way that they would about something that pushes some artistic boundaries, but also in terms of the market, 
it's simply the better strategy to take risk when you're a newcomer because that's how you upset the apple cart. Now, your odds are still long, right? Again, the hay example, we looked at those odds and both Jason and I went like, you know what? Most likely this is not going to work. As in, most likely this is not going to attract major mainstream success because the thing of risk is like it fails most of the time. Most new businesses, most new ideas fail. But you have to have someone willing to to attempt that. Otherwise, we're going to watch Marvel movies for the next 200 years. I think we may still be watching Marvel movies for the next 200 years. Do you know what's funny? <laughs> I just watched the Marvel movie literally uh, two days ago. <laughs> it was the first movie I'd watched um, in, I don't know, a year and a half, like Black Widow. Yep, yep. And what was so interesting about that experience was I felt like I had to have watched the other 40, right? Like it, the movie kind of didn't really even make sense. It felt like I was just going into a a show that had already been running for 40 yeah. episodes. And I would just sit down and like, okay, that's a lot of kicking and punching and exploding, but um, what's the point here? So anyway, that's kind of like an easy target. That's to, for our, to our, uh, our second podcast where we review all the Marvel <laughs> movies. Um, to get us a little bit back on track here, um, th- this this essay finishes by by you guys saying that Basecamp at the time, 37 Signals, uh, fails that real world test in a lot of ways. Uh, let, let me see, what, what do you mention here? Like remote work we talked about, no, no salespeople, no advertising, and then like revealing the secret sauce, writing books like this. Those are all things that, you know, a more traditional company would say, oh, you can't, that won't work in the real world. We've tried things like advertising, Obviously, remote work is a success. The real world sort of had to come around to us on that. But where where are we still failing? Do we still fail these tests? Yeah, I, I think a couple of the things that are a little bit different, perhaps, is like, you know, trying to run sane work hours is is unusual. The real world is, I mean, it, actually, it's funny because like, it depends where you are culturally and also what industry, but in the tech industry, let's call that like our sphere of real world for a second. Like, we're pretty weird there. Also, like the fact that we really don't have meetings, um, you know, people get together occasionally to talk and a team of two or three riff on things. But like a meeting is like, you know, six or seven people for an hour sitting around the table. Like we don't we don't do that. That's pretty unusual. And you can you can run an organization without without doing that. I'd, I'd say those are those are two of the things. Um, now we don't have an office at all. So it's not just remote work, but we don't actually have an office, period. Um, other companies don't have offices, too. So it's not totally original, but it's pretty unusual. Um, I would say that that that's another place. Um, advertising marketing isn't, we've dabbled, you know, experimented, done some neat stuff, but it's not really part of the strategy that drives sales or customers our way. It's always been word of mouth and organic growth. And we'd like to change that. I mean, we'd really like to figure out how to, how to get marketing right and advertising, right. Um, we just have never really had anyone really focused on that for an extensive period of time and tried a whole bunch of things. Um, and we haven't really had a clear strategy around. So I, that's something I am very curious about. And I'd, lo- I'd love to get there. Also, the four-day work weeks in the summer is pretty unusual. Um, and that wouldn't work in a lot of places, people would say. And I can understand that. Um, I don't know. David, do you have any other other ones? Yeah, I think, I mean, in technology, we continuously do weird stuff that's not supposed to work and cut against the grain of how most companies do things. I mean, Ruby on Rails from an inception, in fact, when we were writing it won't work in the real world, most of the internal images I had pop up on my mind, they were from Ruby on Rails. People telling me, you can't use this exotic 
programming language out of Japan that I've never heard of because it doesn't already have a big base. It's never going to work. The enterprise will not allow it because blah, 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 blah. The flip side of it won't work in the real world is also that it's an extremely attractive motivator. Nothing makes me more fired up to prove that something absolutely will work in the quote-unquote real world than having people tell me that it won't. For Ruby on Rails, that was a huge driver that I, I mean, obviously I had worked with the technology. We'd build apps. I'd build apps before. I'm like, of course this is going to work. Like these, This opposition is based in large part out of fear and ignorance. And you can conquer fear and ignorance by showing results, by proving it, right? That's the thing with, we've talked a lot about remote, is that prior to this pandemic year, some people could in their head suspend disbelief about the fact that there were a bunch of companies, including ours, that had done remote work for 20 years and said, yeah, 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 but they're different. They're odd, they're weird. It doesn't apply to us. Everyone is suddenly forced to do it. Now there is indisputable proof that not only does it work, it works very well, it has its drawbacks and it has its compromises, but it clearly works very well. We can't go back in the box, right? We can't regress from that and go back to pretending that a whiteboard or a water cooler is an essential component of making work work, right? right? Like that argument is over. And we've gone through that process with tech, with some of our um, design approaches, where the initial reaction is, that's never going to work. And then you're like, well, I proved that it did. So that's part of the progress of this. And this is also what's interesting about uh, Rework and looking back upon it, is that when we put out some of these arguments, they are dismissible in the sense that someone can go like, well, that's an anecdote. That's a N equals one out of your, your experiment here. So part of the interest and part of the mission here is let's get some more people to try this because you know what? It is also possible that some of the ideas out of the whatever 88 we have in the book and every single line, maybe not all of them do work in the quote unquote real world as in they wouldn't work for most people most of the time. That's part of the the science of this, right? We have an hypothesis. We've tested it once under these control conditions. Can we expand the experiment and get more people to essentially validate it? Because that's also how ultimately the large scale change happens. We've just run this enormous worldwide experiment on remote work, validated that it works, and now we live in a completely different universe afterwards. We can check that one off the list. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, Well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Next week, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the next essay, which is entitled Learning from Mistakes is Overrated. So I will see you both <laughs> next yes. week. That sounds good. Gosh. Thanks, Sean. Awesome. See ya. Thank you both. Rework is a production of Basecamp. Our theme music is by Clipart. You can find all of our past episodes at rework.fm. We are on Twitter at Rework Podcast. If you'd like to follow along with our little book club, next week we'll be discussing the chapter titled Learning from Mistakes is Overrated.